Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert, and this is episode 215. So, Albert, I heard you haven't played this one. Is it a little bit beneath you? <laughs> Julius, that, that's something fishy about that joke. Hello, everybody. We're here talking about Underwater Cities. Bloop, 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 bloop. And we've been trading off our best fish jokes for about five minutes before we even started recording. <laughs> and really, all the good ones are Julius's, honestly. I'm just, I just stole it. I'll be uh, honest. <laughs> That's right. So this, so this is a silly game, is what you're saying. This is a very serious, high-intensity, thinky game where no matter how many players you're playing with, you're basically playing solo. <laughs> okay. So you may as well be playing solo, huh? So you may as well be playing solo. That's the best kind of game. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. So, all right. I I look forward to hearing more about this. Let us begin with our general overview. Underwater Cities is a game where you are managing a hand of cards to select actions from across a board. You'll try and use a card from your hand to select a corresponding action to get the most benefit out of it in order to be able to broaden your city by creating cities or domes and different sorts of buildings attached to those cities as well as tunnels to connect them into your giant mega empire. You will have three well, 10 possible rounds with three eras worth of time. And we'll be able to amass the largest city and the most amounts of points possible. The player with the most amount of points at the end of the game wins. And when you're playing solo, get the most amount of points you possibly can. Okay. Sounds, uh, sounds straightforward enough. I think that the general summary is yeah. pretty straightforward. <laughs> okay. And who who designed this? Vladimir Suchi. Vladimir Suchi. And it's published by Delicious Games. All right, and it is for one to four divers, ages 14 plus. And Rio Grande Games, rather, in the States. Neat. They don't usually make games for one player. Not usually. They did this time. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alba, what's the first thing we're going to talk about today? Uh, jokes. And then a summary. And then rules. <laughs> Good. Glad we're on board. Yeah. So I think this is the heaviest game that we've talked about in quite a while. This is not one of those where, you know, it's a four-page rule book, so we figured it out. This is already a 20-page rule book with a whole lot of oh, wow. different things and how you're doing it all. I... <sighs> The game flows, but I definitely appreciated both the way the rules laid it out and the fact that afterwards someone explained it to me because (laughs) this, this is a game that has a fair amount going on in it. The game essentially summarizes how you take an action and then it summarizes what all the different, like, First, it has a general gameplay. It spends one page going over a general gameplay so that you understand all the concepts. And then it dials back down into all the different types of things that happen. I think that it probably would have been enhanced by having another opportunity to sort of come back and say, now that I've explained all the concepts to you, here is how you run a turn. 
possibly. It, it, it would benefit also from having like numbered sections and all that so you could refer to them later more easily. Yeah, to to a degree. It, it's it's just hard because there's a lot of stuff that happens all at once and it's hard to keep it all on track. And I think that definitely having a good summary and having an understanding of how to play the game, this is the sort of game that you do sort of want to play around and then read the rules again and make sure that you understood everything very clearly. It takes a moment of learning time to be able to really figure out how to do it. I don't think that's any issue with the rules. The rules definitely provide all the information you need. The way it's easy to find stuff that you're looking for in the rules, especially because there's a nice contrast of colors. Most of the colors on the rules are this blue color, but if you're looking for keywords or you're looking for sections, it's a bright pink, which means that it's very easy and very quick to be able to find something that you need. The game also comes with, it, it almost feels like it belongs in like an Uwe or Stefan Fell type game with all the iconization on it. But the game does come with a player information card as well as a final scoring card. And once you understand all of the iconography of it, both of those are, are pretty clear about how both the overflow of a round goes as well as how final scoring goes. But it's all an iconography. Granted, it's an iconography that you need. It's an iconography that is understandable, but it's all an iconography. feels very reminiscent of one of those type of games. But it presents all of the information clearly, so I don't really have any issues with it on the fact that this is just a game you want to sit and think about for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's going to take a while. You said it's a lot of pages to the rules. The text isn't super dense, but there's definitely a lot of text. Fortunately, there's a lot of pictures that make everything very clear, and I do like that. It, it seems mm -hmm. like it, it's a well-put-together book. Well-designed. Indeed. Indeed, indeed. What it does seem to like, it, it does seem to like a table of contents. Or my, yeah, that is the one thing it could benefit from. Perhaps. You know, with 20 pages, I'd say. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, 20 pages is not so large that it's not flippable, but maybe. Yeah. All right. It so... does have a nice frequently overlooked rules, which is always helpful oh. for a heavy thinking game. Mm-hmm. Yep. I do appreciate that. Even Pandemic has it. And honestly, that's kind of handy even in Pandemic. Yeah. So, yeah. So I appreciate that. Great. Let's let's uh, move on to the theme. Um. So with regard to the theme, the idea, I mean, it's an economic builder. You are building cities. They've changed the theme so that you're underwater when you're doing that. At that point in time, the theme makes sense. Actions on the board make sense that you're using different sorts of sciences and technologies to create any of the various resources that are made in. So the theme makes sense. It's held together pretty well. Okay, yeah, and it looks nice, and it has nice artwork to, to tie it all together and whatnot, I think. Mm -hmm. I think so. All yeah. of it look. I mean, once we're already talking about the artwork, yes, the artwork does look nice. All the artwork is appropriate to theme, appropriate to the idea. It's not being silly. It's treating it with a serious nature, as I suppose as much as is possible, because... Some of it is fantastical. We don't have these technologies in real life, but it doesn't treat it as fantastical. It's just 
art. <laughs> it's just the drawings of it. But yeah, okay. I think that it does the theme perfectly adequately. It's just not, it's not a super developed story theme. It's just you're building cities. They happen to be underwater. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Theme good. Uh, components. components. So let me talk about some of the components, both in the base game. And I'm briefly going to mention some of the components from the expansion. But in terms of components of the base game, it does have a nice open board that has two sides, one that's used for one and two players and one that's used for three and four players. The layout on the board is perfectly fine. There's adequate room both to put player action tiles and to put cards. If you're using government contracts, there's a slot for those. So the board is laid out nicely. Um, Looks reminiscent of sort of that table map that desk map that we've seen before with the pda placed on top so all the board looks very nice as you mentioned all of the artwork and the component and graphic design is relatively nice there are clear icons for everything it just there's a bunch of icons there's the different resources there's how the translation of this spend for this works but once you get into, once you understand all those icons, all of them are relatively clear. Nothing is too far out there in terms of what stuff does what. So with regard to all of that, I don't really have an issue. With the base game, one issue that I do have is the action tiles. There are four player character, uh, four player colors, black, pink, blue, and orange, which points for them for using non-normal colors you know, those basic red blue green yellow they use that in other places so i like the action color the, i like the player colors but they're action tiles and over the course of the game you're going to be putting those action tiles around the edge of the board because there's 12 spaces that you can use for selecting actions around the outside edge of the board and you'll put one of these action tiles on there there is this random looking icon printed on the action tiles that what is that why did they put that there when everything else is so thematic and brings to mind something about this underwater city is that like a magneto chair or what i don't understand what it is why would they do that (laughs) bothers me every time i see it that's just because it's one thing that just did not need to be printed just like that. Ugh. Anyway. Yeah. That's terms, not a big complaint. It doesn't sound like it really is. It's not a big complaint, but it does bother me. And it's just <laughs> something that could have, they could like, why? I, I just want to know what that thing is. Listeners, feel free to send me a message and tell me what that thing is. All right. The On action, the action tile. tiles. Yes. Okay. Um, But another issue that I did have with the game is that there are player boards where you're going to be putting your city. So you have these little plastic domes and plastic discs in three different colors that you're placing on the board, as well as some tiles that you're using to connect tunnels between them. In the base version of the game, that's a single layer board. So if you bump it, it can theoretically cause a giant earthquake across your city (laughs) and mess with all of that layout. And those are small discs. They're stacked on top of each other. There's nothing really holding them in place. 
Um, some people had originally come out with some acrylic overlays to put on top of those boards to hold them in place. The expansion came out with dual layer boards, which are actually triple layer boards because they're double sided, but dual layer boards that you can then hold all of those domes and things in place better so that stuff that bumps it won't mess the whole thing up nearly as easily. <laughs> that is <laughs> such a nice upgrade. Especially when you're playing solo and want to leave it around children, cats will bump things. Anything to resist bumping when something is so easily bumped and so it, it has to be precise and nuanced on where stuff is because it makes a difference and it's really easy to mess up. So anything that would prevent bumping would be really nice. To that end, I kind of wish that there was some upgrade for the little plastic discs as well that would prevent bumping. You have the, I'm just going to call them green, yellow, and white buildings, even though they have a name. They are the farm desalinization plants and laboratories, but they're green, yellow, and white buildings. Mm -hmm. But over the course of the game, you can build a level one building and you put it on your board, but you can also build upgrade a level one building to level two, in which case you stack a second disc on top of the first one. Those are small little plastic discs that, are just sort of stacked right there. There's nothing holding them there. It would have been much nicer if there were some sort of lip. I understand this probably would have meant that it would have had to be maybe a 3D printed type thing or, you know, a custom piece. You know, plastic poker chips would work. The yeah, plastic yeah. poker chip would also work, yes, but it would have to be very small plastic poker chips because these are only like 10 millimeter discs. Oh, okay. So... It, something to have prevented it so that when you are building them in two structures, it's easier to not bump them off. Because if you bump them off, you then have to remember that I have two level ones or one level two. And it's certainly a thing that would have been nice to have and isn't, isn't really there. It is what mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. With okay. those exceptions, I think that the remainder of the components are all really nice. There's, a whole big deck of cards, one for each era, tokens for all of the different resources, tokens for the different metropolises that are used to add bonus places in your board to add variability, and cards and tokens everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of like a Nouvelle Rosenberg game, just like you said at the beginning. Tons of components, tons of different things, and it feels like it should be a, a worker placement game or something. <laughs> It kind of is a worker placement. Game. Okay, well, I see. There you go. It's action selection. That, okay, that that is the look and feel of it to me. It's yeah. action selection. It is. It is action mm -hmm. selection. Well, very neat. Okay, yeah. So it looks like one. It really does. Oh, well, now that we started talking about gameplay, why don't we dive into it more? Okay, well, let's do that. <laughs> All gameplay. right, we're going again, Albert. <laughs> Diving in. Dive. Um. So as you mentioned, this is an action selection type of game. The basic idea is that you're going to have three eras. And in each era, you're going to generally have a hand of three cards. And on your turn, you play one card and choose one of the available action slots. So around the board, there are four or five green, red, and yellow action slots. And in your hand, you can either have a green, red, or yellow card if the card and the slot both match in color then in addition to being able to use the action slot 
you also get the benefit of the card. If it does not match, then you just are throwing away that card in order to be able to use an action slot, but you're not using it to its best possible benefit. Then when you're done with your turn, you will draw a card back. So this is a really cool way of doing action selection because as opposed to something like an Uwe Rosenberg, where every action is always the same, every action is not really always the same. Although Mm -hmm. you're picking an action slot, it's tied to whatever benefit you get from your cards. And some cards will be immediate benefits some will be benefits that only happen during production, which are at the end of each era. Some cards are only at the end of the game, even. Some cards give you special actions that action slots will sometimes have a big letter A on them, at which point in time you can activate one of your action cards, and that's limited to each action card can be used once per round. So some of them have essentially a once per, excuse me, once per era effect. And some of them have just an all the time effect that they constantly happen whenever their triggering function happens. So all of the different action slots have sort of enhancements to them. But if you're desperate and you say, I really, really need to build a tunnel right now, or I really need some extra resources, or I really need to go up on the Federation track, you can do those. You just have to pitch the car that you're looking for and not get the maximum benefit out of it. This is such a dynamic interplay between those cards and those action slots that each of your decisions helps funnel you towards an idea range because in general, you do want to maximize your use of those cards, but also in general, you'll know which sort of action slots you'll want to get. You're thinking, hey, I need to first get some steel and then make some tunnels, get some credits, play an action card, and then pick up one of the special action cards. So you sort of have an idea for what you want to do with your three actions on the round, but then maybe the cards don't come out. So you have to think, well, do I want to change my plan? Do I want to be able to use these cards better? So all of these things help you sort of funnel your actions down toward that track. I contrast this with something like A Feast for Odin, where with A Feast for Odin, you have a giant board of a whole bunch of different actions, and all of them are always available to you. There's nothing that helps you sort of funnel your thought process and give you things and ideas on what you can do with it other than really what you've done in the past. But when you sit down for your first action in the game, you're like, I could do anything. (laughs) But here, it's not really true. It's not that you can do anything. You sit down, you're like, I've got a hand of red cards. I've tried avoiding that, but I'm stuck with the hand of red cards. Let's see what we can do out of red. Can any of red do us good? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I got a plan. I'm going to do this with this red card. Hopefully I'll get a yellow card, and then we can do this yellow card. But right now, we're going to use this red card, and it helps focus and distill your thought process and sort of doesn't leave you just floating out there in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. And you don't use all your cards every round, correct? Uh, no, you do not use all of your cards every round. 
Okay. So I imagine that could one card. You'll use one card each turn, but at the end of your turn, you're always drawing another card. So you always have three cards. And then when you go to the next era, you'll actually draw three cards from the next era's deck because there's an era two deck. And then you have to discard back down to three. So you can choose, hey, do I want the new super cool era three car- era two cards? Or maybe these era one cards still have benefit for me. So maybe I want to hold on to these for just a little bit longer and play them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I imagine sometimes you, you kind of want to play, a, say, a red action, but you're thinking, I, I don't have the red card, so I'm going to instead focus on the green ones, hoping for the red one next time around. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and so, you, yeah, it gives you choices to make. That That is interesting because, yeah, it seems like this the way they set this up gives you a lot more choices, a lot more things to, to think about when you're playing each round. Like you said, right. it sounds it like it gives you really a lot of choices. Game. It gives you a lot of choices without leaving you out there floating. With it, it, keeps you drilling down towards a specific idea while still giving you the freedom to buck that if you feel that you need to. Mm-hmm. That's neat. That really is neat. Yeah. All that, that, that I would say is the primary reason that I, I really love this game is because of that interplay between the cards and the action slots. Okay. So that being said, let me talk a bit more about one of the other complexities of the game, which is building your player board. You do have your player board with the domes and the cities and the things all interconnected. You are trying to build your network of cities out. So you have one free city that you start off with. And at the end of each era, you'll have a production. So that's at the end of four rounds, four rounds, and then another last round. You'll have a production when everything will produce resources and kind of towards the end of an era, you do start feeling a little slim because you're thinking I need resources, but if I wait just another round or two, I'll grab a whole bunch of resources as all my things produce. But on the other hand, it's only things that are connected to your original cities that are going to produce. So theoretically you can go build you know, way far out if you wanted to. But they have to be connected to your network in order to be able to produce and gain points for you at the end of the game. So it's it's tricky to be able to do all of that and still be able to efficiently use all of those cards. In addition, on the board, there are metropolises. In each corner of the board, except for the one that you start with, there are metropolises. There's two blue ones, which give you essentially a boost in the middle of your game. And there's one brown one, which is a big end game goal, essentially. So you can try and aim to build all the way over to the brown end game one so that you have something to shoot for at the end of the game that will hopefully give you some points at the end of the game. And Mm -hmm. that's another interplay that you can have while you're playing the game. And all of that means that that's just another couple buttons and dials that you get to twist and turn while you're playing through the game and more stuff to mess with. Okay. And there's there's nine spaces on the board. So in theory, and there's nine turns. So in theory, you could probably like fill up the board in the game, but I imagine you don't quite ever have enough resources to do that. I cannot <laughs> imagine you would ever be able to do that because there are nine spaces for cities. But some of the cities you do want to be symbiotic cities because the symbiotic cities will make biomatter and points. And 
there's nine spaces for cities, but you also have to build tunnels. Tunnels will give you resources. Mm -hmm. And you'll also want to build the buildings. And there's three, possibly four slots for buildings on each city. So that's a lot of stuff that you'll have to build. I have never come close <laughs> to be able to build nine cities. Yeah. Uh, that would be very difficult, I think. I imagine. Yeah, I imagine. And it's neat because the way you build also, there's different paths you could build. Since it's a grid, you could build in a, around the edges, going to one of those blue metropolises, and then to the brown one, for example. You could shoot straight to the brown one, going diagonally across the board. Well, more than that, even, the boards have different layouts. Especially if you get the expansions, mm. there's even more layouts. Ah, but okay. building in certain spots will give you bonuses. Like building a spot may give you extra cards, or give you extra resources, or make a city cheaper, things like that. So it makes a difference which way you want to build for those things. Now, I don't think that those are really so different. I think that a lot of the differences, in my opinion, really come from those cities. But there is somewhat of a difference between the different cities. This is not the difference like, hey, this person only has eight cities on theirs, or this person can get five buildings per city on theirs or things like that none of them really do that but the bonuses you get from the different ones are are different just i don't think it's as huge a thing okay well very neat it sounds really fun agreed and there mm -hmm. is additional ways of when you're playing multiplayer you can also use um government contract cards but i'm not even gonna get into it because i've never played with it okay and is that in the expansion or the base game? Like That's in the base game. The only thing from the expansion that I've mentioned is the two-layer two boards. That's also the only part of the expansion I've played with. So this seems like a point salad kind of game. Is that is that a fair assessment? A point salad kind of game? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, okay. No, I don't, I don't think so. There's really... No. <laughs> point okay. salad is the idea that everything gives you points. Yeah, I don't really think it's true that there's tons of ways to get points. There's tons okay. of things you can do. But, but they don't all give you points. I don't think Not they directly. all give you points. Okay. It just seemed like it was. I I, I don't know. That's why I asked. No. Interesting. Mostly the ways of getting points are, are really from a couple key buildings and some cards. And then you can get some points from the uh, federation block there's a couple ways of getting points but point salad games typically just feel like it's absolutely raining points and everything mm -hmm. gives you points and i don't think it's really true you have to figure out your ways of getting points in this game so i believe that covered gameplay no yeah should we move on to solo surely so the idea that you're playing with solo is that you are having to beat your own high score. You only win if you have seven connected cities in your network and at least 100 points. If you don't do that, then you just don't win. And then your goal is to get the highest points possible, so beat your previous best score. I have won, um, mm. but not by a whole <laughs> lot. <laughs> okay, and not often from the sound of it. Yeah, I do not always okay. win. Being able to connect yeah. all seven cities sometimes will be to the to the downfall and detriment of points. But yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, I like games like These that where, where they have a, a victory condition where you got to meet the condition, but then on top of that, there's points to rank how you do. And then just just to make it worse, it's hard to even win in the first place. I like that combination yes. right there specifically. I do agree. Um. 
And in order to randomize how the other player works in this kind of game, there's two things that you have to do. You take a second player's colors and move them into one slot. And then from then on, you'll just rotate those around the board going clockwise each round. So you'll have one at one, four, and eight. And the next time it's two, five, and nine, and then three, six, and 10, and go around the board that way. And then if you are not the first player, so if you have not advanced on the Federation track this round, so then the other player gets a bonus action, action, where you randomly select a slot um, and place a new action tile in that slot. And that way, essentially, there's an extra slot that they got before you did. It's completely random, so you don't really get to predict it, as opposed to being able to predict Mm -hmm. what's happening if you do control who is going first. That works just fine. It means that you have a lot of predictability when you're playing through and you know what it is that you can get. Kind of similar to an Uwe game where, you know, again, I'm I'm going to harken back to A Feast for Odin. You know exactly what's going to be blocked off by the phantom other player. It's whatever you took the first round. So similar to this, you know almost in general what's going to be blocked off by the other player. It's the ones right next to the ones that you're doing right now. It's easy, quick to set up doesn't really cause any issues about having to run it around the board. The only potential issue that I have with it is the method that they use for randomizing where the uh, <laughs> randomizing where the action token comes out. And the way they do it is that you just flip over the top card of the deck and then each card is numbered for being able to look up or compare with other players or track, who knows what. But each card is numbered. So you add together the digits to get a single number, and then whatever number you get is the number clockwise around the board. So if you got 13, you add that together, you get four, and then you go around the board four times, and then you put it in that slot. I do not know why they did it that way. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's weird. I wonder why we didn't just use a die or even like say use a die or something like mm-hmm. that, but why not just I, include a 12-sided die? I do like that they're they're using the cards and you know find a, sec- a different way to use them. They could have also just put a 4 in the card. <laughs> and that made you do the math, I guess. Not that it's hard math. No, it's not particularly hard math. It's just <laughs> briefly pause, do the thing. What I do do is I put a die a 12-sided die on the federation track and then if i advance on the federation track i put my pawn on top of that die to show that i don't have to use it if i did not then the the die is still there so that's a very visual reminder uh hey roll this die and put it out Mm -hmm. so i both like the fact that i've added that additional one and wish that they had just included it to begin with with that exception, it's almost the identical game to the main gameplay, which is what I like in a solo game. <laughs> it feels the exact same and maintains all of that lovely interplay that you get between um, the action selection and the the card selection, the hand management. Just now, you don't have to deal with another person at random more than once around taking the spot that you want and ruining your plans for a turn. You can really, for mm-hmm. the most part plan out your entire three actions 
and say, I'm going to do this, 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 and then do this, this, and this. Mm -hmm. I like worker placement games like that. I find it harder and harder to play that style of game with other people because I've gotten so spoiled playing solitaire. I can hear that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. People don't know how much better it is solitaire. (laughs) We do. We do, Albert. We have... We we are living the good life. <laughs> That's right. Down here, it's better. All right. So so the solo game sounds neat. It sounds like it, it it works. It's pretty easy to do. It doesn't sound like it's a lot of housekeeping at all, which is nice. No, no housekeeping. When you take your turns, you just take your turns and go. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you want to give an overview? Or do you want to talk about expansions next? You mentioned there's an expansion. I don't really want to talk about the expansions because, again, I have not had the That's opportunity true. to play the expansions. Other than that, I bought the expansions to get the two-layer board. I haven't played any part of the expansions since then. So are you so, just not interested in the other parts? Because I the base game interested is interested in it. Okay. I am interested in it. I just, I've been perfectly fine playing the base game. And I'm enjoying that still. And I, when when I'm done with that, I'll pull out the expansion. Okay. Cool. Give it well, time, Albert. Give working. it time. Or give it till we run out of other content for the podcast. <laughs> That'll never happen. Ever. Uh, <laughs> I hope not. Yeah. There's so much to cover. I have so many unplayed games that would eventually someday will get covered. Okay, there's games here like Eurorails that I've had since when I first started the podcast, I said, oh, I'll get to that one and talk about Euro Rails one day. The old Mayfair Crayon Rails game. Hasn't happened. Don't know when it will. <laughs> one day. Yeah, exactly. When, once we run out of new games. Uh, Good games. <laughs> Good games. Yeah, sometimes. Usually. <laughs> All right. So let's let's do the overview then. Let's move on to the overview because it is late here and I really should go to bed soon. That's fair. So just for a brief overview, because we are over our time, as mentioned, I very much enjoy that overplay between the action selection and the cards. I think that gives a lot of dynamic turn selection, as well as helping to make your turns go focused, make your turns play well. All of that is great stuff. I very much enjoy it, and I would highly recommend the game. Okay, very cool. And would you recommend the expansion with your experience of it so far of just having the player boards? Or do you feel it's worth it yet? Or? For the player boards, I would highly recommend that. Okay, if you're willing to, to pay for the expansion just for the player board, which essentially I was, yes, I highly recommend that. I think that it is an excellent quality of life <laughs> upgrade to be able to keep your stuff solid and steady, even when one of your kids like, oh, look, these are cool. And <laughs> know that things will sort of stay where they're supposed to, even in those worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, publishers are learning and and doing double sided boards every time for these games they need it. Because much, much more so. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, the expansion is like forty five dollars. Is the base game miniature market doesn't currently have it, but I can buy the base game on Amazon, so it is available. Looks like it's about $70 retail for the base game. You could get it for 55 or so. It's not bad. Indeed. Very cool. And with that, I think I will tell everyone good night. Good night, all.
Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-alike license. Thanks for listening.